Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. I have no words. Thank you all for your beautiful singing voices and the uh, happy birthday wishes. It's good to uh, have another year. And with that, I want to go ahead and and welcome Ed Bloom, Dr. Ed Bloom up. Ed's going to be teaching with me this morning. Will you welcome Ed this morning? I've actually been uh, really genuinely excited uh, about this morning, and maybe more than excited, like deeply thankful might be uh, the two words I, I choose to describe how I feel about this morning, not only because I thought there's going to be 14 of you and there's a lot more than that, uh, but I had asked Ed here to kind of co-teach with me today, uh, a few weeks ago, and what I had asked of Ed is that he would uh, think about what his life, the the past decades has looked like in church leadership as a pastor, as a professor and scholar teaching uh, theology in different universities, as uh, the general editor in the translation of the scriptures that we use every single Sunday, a project he worked on for over seven years. Uh, Ed is uh, really a renowned theologian and scholar, and it is unbelievably humbling and incredible, uh, truly, to get to share this this table and to collaborate and to, to get to teach alongside of somebody so wise yet simultaneously so humble. I mean, every week to, to get to shake Ed's hand and get to learn from him and hear from him truly, truly is a privilege. So thank you for, for joining me, Ed. I asked him to provide some kind of context of what he's seen as the biggest differences in the church today uh, compared to the church throughout the years, some of the, the biggest changes that he's seen. And then on top of that, kind of to give us as a church an encouragement. That is what I asked of Ed, he didn't really listen to me, which is, is probably for the better. That's okay. I didn't really expect that to happen. Instead, he came uh, to me with Psalm 81 and said, instead of Ed's thoughts, how about we hear God's thoughts and, and God's encouragement to the church in the new year? So if you have a Bible with you or you want to pull it up on your phone, we'd encourage you to do that. Psalm chapter 81, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Ed, as we dive into that, will you share a little bit why, about why we're choosing, or you chose, Psalm 81 instead of listening to my request? Well, it's uh, a little bit... Make sure I'm on the phone. <laughs> it's a little bit uh, easier for me to work with God's thoughts than with my own thoughts. And I figured, well, you know, rather than try to come up with ideas that Ed Bloom might think for a church, why don't I think about what would be something that God has for us? And at night, Sometimes in the middle of the night, uh, I get a thought. And uh, the one thought that I had uh, that came was a phrase in this psalm. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And I remembered 
this psalm. And as I studied this psalm, I thought, well, this would be something very appropriate for us because this psalm was something that the Jewish people, when they got together, uh, they had certain periods that God said, you are to observe Passover, you are to observe a feast of weeks, and then you're to observe a feast called tabernacles in which all the men each year were supposed to go up to Jerusalem and they would worship the Lord for a given period. And this tabernacles was always a joyous celebration because it was right at the end of the harvest season. The people would camp out for a week you know, a lot of people, you probably hit people in this group that camp out. Well, the Israel Israelites had to camp out. I remember when I was a pastor, there was a Jewish synagogue nearby. And uh, the, the rabbi came over and said, uh, come on over for lunch and we'll uh, sit out in the booth. He had a little booth that was built outside. Uh, and the Jewish people, uh, they... they they erect these booths around, and they, they, they spend uh, a whole week eating their meals in the booth and sleeping there. So I studied this particular psalm, and this psalm is uh, very appropriate because it was, it was recited every Thursday by the rabbis, by the, Levi, the Levites, and it was used uh, every seventh year for the people to gather together and uh, the Levites would read it to the people so that the children and the adults would listen to the word and learn it. Because they didn't have Bibles, you know, uh, only a few people uh, actually had, had their own Bibles. Uh, so, I, and this was, this was used on the New Year's Day. So, uh, this is the only passage that I could really put my finger on uh, that is a New Year's Day uh, exhortation to us. Now, when we read the Old Testament, sometimes you may think, well, the Old Testament, why, why in the world do we read the Old Testament? Well, Paul says, all the things that happened to them happened to them for our instruction. And they're written down for us that we might learn not to do the wrong things, uh, that we would learn from the mistakes of Israel, and we would learn uh, the lessons for us for the future. So that's the reason why we're doing this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There's three primary kind of purposes built within Psalm 81, and there's three sections uh, of this passage. So we'll read one at a time, but before that, here's the, the three kind of purposes or sections. Number one, uh, it's to awaken the church to joy. That is something that we are meant to have, especially as we embark on a new year. Uh, despite whatever circumstances might be, Joy, a, a deep level of that, a deep understanding of the ways of God in the midst of circumstances is something we're called to. So to awaken the church to joy, to practice thankfulness for what has been, there's kind of this key word to remember. And then thirdly, 
to embrace obedience to future opportunity. There is future opportunity for us as the church. There's future opportunity for us as individuals, as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children, employers, employees, people that share streets. There's future opportunities that God is calling us to be obedient to. And this psalm uh, encourages us to embrace this opportunity uh, for obedience. So I'd love to to go ahead and read this. If you want to read it with me, I'd love that. We're going to read just the first section, Psalm 81, verses 1 through 5, obviously beginning in verse 1. We'd love for you to read with me. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout in triumph to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song. Play the tambourine, the melodious lyre, and the harp. Blow the horn on the day of our feasts, during the new moon and during the full moon. For this is a statute for Israel, a judgment of the God of Jacob. He set it up as an ordinance for Joseph when he went throughout the land of Egypt. Uh, I wanted to show you too, this is a a picture of Ed's Bible, or half of it, and I love this. I want this Bible because of these notes. They're spectacular and detail-oriented. They talk about the differences in culture, referencing the New Testament and the completion of covenants, and you look at this, what I'm looking at right here, and there's this beauty and depth and, and wisdom in it. So I wanted to give you a, a glimpse of that. And then, Ed, will you kind of just walk us through what stands out to you in these first five verses, this first section? Well, when you see this, uh, you know, uh, my Bible, mar- the markings, uh, <clears throat> there was a guy d- named Donald Gray Barnhouse. He used to be on the radio. Uh, uh, he was a Presbyterian. And he uh, published a magazine called Eternity Magazine. Of course, magazines, nobody reads magazines anymore. Uh, uh, But uh, uh, he was quite gifted. And he uh, marked his Bible. And he he published a little pamphlet, How to Mark Your Bible. And uh, so I've always marked my Bible ever since. I know some people think it's sort of sacrilegious. But uh, for being a, a person teaching... Uh, you can do it various ways. Some pastors, and I had uh, a very gifted pastor uh, who taught homiletics, the science of, uh, of speaking. Uh, he used to write out every word, and he worked on all the words, and he was a wordsmith. And he never, uh, he memorized after he had written it all out. Well, I was never that industrious. <laughs> I was never that industrious. To me, I always would write an outline, uh, and I, I would mark my Bible, and the, I would mark various things that, that sort of remind me. For example, on this particular verse, uh, verse 2, uh, lift up a song, or uh, let's sing a song, play the tambourine. So I might mark, uh, uh, you know, tambourine. Well, uh, the tambourine was used by mainly the women, and they would dance, for example, when they came out of Egypt, when they crossed uh, the Red Sea, Miriam, it says, Miriam led the women, and they danced and played the tambourine. Uh, and so I guess we should have maybe a little dancing in our services. Yeah. Um, Particularly at the festival times, uh, you know. And if you, if you read uh, Psalm 149 and 150, 
Both, both of the Psalms say uh, to play these musical instruments and also to dance. As you remember, uh, David danced before the Lord and his wife, Mir uh, his wife uh, she didn't think it was appropriate. Uh, and the passage af afterwards says uh, she had no child after that. <laughs> <laughs> that is some bad dancing. That's, that's Ed, Ed did say he was uh, thankful for our, our Christmas Eve Eve gatherings. Many of you uh, were there. It was a really uh, fun time to, to celebrate Jesus and, and what that means. He had one critique, and that's that there was no dancing. So uh, we might have to make that work for Ed next year. We're figuring out how to, uh, to make that happen. And I told Nate he's in charge of it because he <laughs> sang me happy birthday so exuberantly. He can figure out the dance floor. Can you imagine what it would be like to have 50 of our children all in a, in a group dancing? I mean, uh, it would be, you know, it would be, it would be joy. I mean... And you, uh, you see sometimes in, in Israel, you know, the men dancing, uh, you, know, they, you know, it's part of their, their joy. So uh, it, the, the exhortation of the first part is there should be festive joy in our life. Uh, you know, blow the horn. And the, the shofar was a horn that was made from a ram's horn. Uh, and uh, they, they blew it on the times of these feasts and during the new moon and the full moon. By the way, this, this word, uh, uh, new moon, full moon, only occurs uh, uh, twice in, in the scripture, uh, in the, the passage. Uh, this is a statue, a judgment, an ordinance. In other words, God ordained certain times uh, which the people were to have these festivals. And when you read the, the New Testament, we are... Uh, exhorted, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You know, so we ought to be uh, not only together when we're together uh, worshiping, there should be joy in our lives, but individually, uh, you know, family worship and so on. Yeah, we see too, there's this set of, of holidays, traditions, scheduling a calendar that God himself puts into place for his people because there's these celebrations that cause them to remember the faithfulness of God throughout the years for the past generations, no matter what their present circumstances look like. And I think that's really important. So uh, in a calendar year, you might get to March or April or Christmas or whatever it is, and life might look this way or that way, good or bad. Circumstances change year to year. But in those holidays that God put into the scriptures for us to abide in, we're reminded that throughout, no matter what those circumstances are, he has provided, and in his own timing and his own way, he will. And so there's this call in this first section uh, of Psalm 81 to embrace. I almost kind of have this image of, of drilling, mining for joy. Sometimes you have to uh, dive deep for that to be realized, to, to recognize that deep within God has provided it, but it always will be there throughout circumstances because that's how he provides. That's not how we're faithful, but that's how he provides. And so regardless of the circumstances, at this point, at this time, there's this recalibration, this remembering and looking back. One of the things we, we talked about in the last service was that the psalm uh, kind of deals with time. 
there's this pause, this transition as we look back to what was and we remember who God is and what he's done and look forward to the new year. And in that kind of pause and moment of remembrance and vision looking forward, we can reflect on and find deep joy in the faithfulness of our God. Second portion. Second section. We'll go ahead and read that beginning. uh, The end of verse five. I heard an unfamiliar language. I relieved his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from carrying the basket. You called out in distress and I rescued you. I answered you from the thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you. Israel, if you would only listen to me. There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Notice the stress on listening. This occurs, listen, listen, four times in this particular psalm. By the way, the word listen occurs 399 times in the Old Testament. Now, not all of them, of course, is God telling us to listen, but significant number of them is God is saying, listen. And you know, some of you are parents, you say to your kid, listen, you don't listen to me, kid. Of course, God wants us to listen, but he also wants us to learn. And when you read the New Testament and you look at it carefully and you read Jesus' words in the the book of Matthew, he that has an ear, let him listen. And when you get to the book of Revelation, Jesus' spirit in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, at the end of every, every exhortation to the church, Uh, there's an exhortation to open your ears to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God wants us to listen and, of course, to learn and obey. Uh, We also run a a couple other things. You might say, well, how do we apply the Old Testament to ourselves? I mean, we, we we don't have strange gods among us. We don't have foreign gods. Well, you know, if you look at uh, 1 John chapter 5, uh, the last verse of 1 John, it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What kind of idols do we have? You know, uh, well, Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon or money. Uh, Money can be an idol. Uh, It's not wrong to have money. But it's wrong, you know, when you read the book of Hebrews, it says, keep your lives free uh, from the love of money. I mean, it's okay to have money, to use it, earn it, give it away, uh, but it can't be your God. One of the things Ed and I talked about this week as we discussed this passage is that maybe one of the ways to think about a strange or a foreign or other God is really simple. It's 
anything, and we talk about this often, anything we choose to place our trust in in place of Jesus, or as, as Nate actually taught about uh, in our series in Exodus, anything we put before, in front of, uh, a priority in front of Jesus. Money's easy uh, to do that with because there's a lot of actual good reason to put uh, a level of trust in money. It can purchase things. Uh, there's a host of other things we might choose to trust in place of or instead of Jesus as well. And usually, in and of themselves, they're not bad things. It could be a promotion. It could be status. It could be a relationship that you have uh, that you're very dependent on or maybe a relationship you would like to have that you're pursuing. It could be a circumstance that you no longer want to be in your life or a circumstance uh, that you wish would be in your life. But there's all kinds of things we choose to trust in place of Jesus. And those function as foreign otherness, objects, things, people, uh, strategies or systems or structures that we go, yeah, I believe in this. And so we give to it in some way and we choose to trust those things as other little gods or, or idols. You used the word things a couple of times. You remember the bumper sticker that was popular the, 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 uh, the back of your Porsche? Uh, you know, I, I do not remember you that. Don't remember? No. Uh, you're the man uh, who, who dies with the most uh, uh, oh, toys yes. uh, wins. Well, Jesus has a word about that. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. And we as, as a country, we, we all have way too many things. Uh, you know, we've, got, we've built all these store places. You know, people have storehouses full of things. And we are constantly buying things. You know, we have to be careful that we don't make uh, a, an idol out of the abundance of things which we, we possess. We don't need it. Absolutely. Look, uh, look again at verse 8, if you will. And I don't want to read it. I want you to, to read verse 8 to yourself in your own head uh, really quick. Verse 8. Take a second and read that. And what I want you to pay attention to is the tone you read it in. How do you hear, perceive, feel God speaking this over his people? How do you hear or perceive or, or feel the emotion, kind of the, the punch or lack thereof, packed into this verse as God expresses something to his people? So you read verse 8. Listen, my people, and I will admonish you, Israel, if you would only listen to me. The, the emotion, I always want to pay attention to that as I read the scriptures. What is the emotion I feel or assume, maybe assumptions are almost always dangerous, about how the Father is speaking to me? Because that's going to indicate a whole lot for you about how you perceive God to be in relation to you, how you think he interacts with you, has or will, and therefore how your life is going to be in relationship with him. And I don't know how you perceive that exactly. Uh, there's certain times, there's no doubt that God kind of drops the hammer in the, the best sense. It is needed for us to receive a healthy dose of discipline to, to save us from ourselves. But right here, what I almost sense is this almost pleading of a father that just knows what is good, has more wisdom and foresight for his children, and they do not listen. And then there's these, these two really powerful words, if only, 
I get caught up all the time in all kinds of ideas and opportunities and, and visions. I drive our team uh, somewhat crazy because I can't help myself but think about the next thing, next week, next day, next hour. I'm very bad at living in the moment and enjoying because I see opportunity. But I almost see that as how, how God is speaking here. He's not really living in the present. He's going, if only... I see what could be so good for you, so healthy and right in the midst of marriages and parenting and, and business and not this prosperity gospel, you pray enough, you claim it, you get your boat. Not that, but God sees a vision that is good. And then we hear this, if only. And I just, I was struck by that as uh, Ed presented Psalm 81 to me and we, we read it uh, the first time. If only you would listen to me. I am Yahweh your God. And then there's this almost assumed, remember, I am Yahweh your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, which has basically the, the whole Torah, the whole first five books of the scriptures built into that sentence, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who was faithful when you were not, when you failed again and again and again. That's what that sentence means. I am that God who showed up for you, who heard your cries, who provided. I am the faithful one. And then there's this this promise that you refer to, open your mouth wide and I will, will fill it. Right, and you know, you can't, you know, when you're thinking about Jesus and what he did with people, he physically did certain things to teach them. And you remember, he taught them for three days and uh, after three days, uh, there's a huge crowd of people listening to Jesus and the disciples say, hey, you know, there's a whole bunch of people here and we're, we're way out in the middle of nowhere. Why don't you send them away so they can go find some food? And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. Have them sit down. And he took the five uh, loaves of bread and three, uh, two, two small fish he thanked the Lord for it, and he created a miracle and fed uh, 5,000 men with the wives and children, so probably 15,000 people. He fed them. Then, after he fed them, uh, he went into the synagogue, the next chapter, and he spoke that I am the bread of life. And the people think, were thinking, well, well Moses, fed them, uh, Moses fed them with bread from manna. And yeah, but that manna wasn't all that great. They, they, they didn't like it. And Jesus says, I am the bread that has come from heaven for you. I am the bread of life. And that's, you know... I will open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God's going to fill us with his spirit, the spirit of Jesus. And we're going to see, uh, well, let me do it right now, make this application. Jesus, as a Jew, went up to Jerusalem three times every year. And in John chapter 7, uh, he goes up uh, to, uh, tells his brothers uh, who didn't believe in him, they say, why don't you go up to Jerusalem and prove yourself? He says, you guys go up. I'll, you know. And he goes later. And when he gets uh, up there in John chapter 7, uh, 
I want to read you what he says to the people. The last day of the feast is the great day and the last day of the Feast of Tabernacle. And he says this. On the last day, the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. This he said about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received, that is, by everybody uh, who was a follower, because Jesus had not been glorified. After Jesus died and was glorified, he was taken up to heaven, and he, he sent his Spirit into the world and we as believers receive the spirit that fills us. And this is the, the manifestation of being a Christian. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not of, not of his. You, if you want to learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit, read Romans chapter 8. Over and again, talks about the spirit. The spirit comes into us and gives us the spirit and produces joy Love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Excuse me for giving the application out of, out of order. That's, no, it's great. It's great. Second, go, we're on to the next one. And it's a, a perfect transition to, to verse 11, this, this third section, because there is this kind of beautiful dance and a little bit of a frightening dance between God's sovereignty and the, the choices and, and free will we have. We, we read here in verse 11 that God could provide, open your mouth and I will provide, he says, but... My people did not listen to me. Israel did not obey them. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. I've, I've said this multiple times uh, about various passages in the scriptures because it's a pattern, uh, which I always try to pay attention to, that repeats itself. This is a little bit terrifying, that God will give us over to the stubbornness of our own hearts and kind of the, the plans that we make on our own. And, and James chapter 4 references this. We'll, we'll read it briefly. James chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Both of those parts are important to save us from ourselves, from evil, from injustices, and to destroy in the saving the injustices and evil and sin and pain and death in this world. But who are we, who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes, or in our case, like rain and moisture. Let's hear just temporarily, and then it will be gone quickly. And this is not saying do not plan. It's not saying don't be wise and think things through and count the cost. What it's saying is do not choose to trust a foreign God or foreign object, your own plans and ideas in place of God's. There's uh, many places throughout the scriptures that say plan and be wise, but don't trust your plans over the plans and the voice 
of Christ that we're called to obedience, we're called to listen to. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. And then here we go again. Here's this pattern, the third and fourth time, the repetition in the psalm. If only, if only my people would listen to me and Israel would follow my ways. Here's this vision, the life that could be if only. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. And then this is another verse 15 here, another verse that, that hit me significantly this week. Those who hate the Lord would pretend submission to him. Their doom would last forever. This is a terrifying word, I think, over the church, maybe our church in, in some ways or, or for some people. Those who hate the Lord would pretend submission to him. One of the themes we see in the the scriptures, especially in the midst of the prophets, as God speaks to his people who have got distracted by other voices they listen to instead of him, is that he has zero interest, zero whatsoever, in people that pretend to be in submission to him, that pretend to worship and follow, that do it here and there but are not committed to his faithfulness. Now, this isn't a command to be perfect and to have it all together and to not make mistakes, not in the slightest, but it's a command to not pretend, to fake it, to worship empty religion and ways and songs, but rather to bring yourself as you are and to go, I am not faithful. I remember what he has done, not what I have done or failed to do, but he is the one that provides, and I think that hits. May we not be a a people, a church, a family, united in our following of Jesus that merely come to a place once a week or, or do some spiritual practices pretending to be in submission to Jesus instead of actually following him through our faults and failures and unfaithfulness while he's faithful. Those who hate the Lord would pretend submission to him. Then verse 16, but he would feed Israel with the best wheat. It has this, this underlined here. I love that, the best. I was just reading First and Second uh, Timothy this last week, and there's this picture given that God wants to give the best what is good. I would uh, feed them not just plain food, the old manna, but the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. I mentioned that one of the reasons why we read the Old Testament uh, one of the problems that people have with uh, the, the, their faith is oftentimes we're stubborn. And this word, stubborn heart, the word stubborn only occurs 10 times in the Old Testament, and uh, it occurs uh, once uh, in Deuteronomy, once in the Psalm, but eight times in another book. Now, what book? What Je- book? Jeremiah comes to mind. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're laughing because he quizzed me in the first service, and I had not the slightest idea. He gave me about five guesses and publicly humiliated me, and then he whispered <laughs> Jeremiah into my ear so that I could pretend I knew. Okay, now why did I pick, why, did, why does Jeremiah mention uh, Israel being stubborn eight times? Why? Because they were. 
They were. And if you, if, you read the, if you read the Old Testament, when you get to Jeremiah, you're coming to the end chronologically. And they've really messed up. They've messed up their lives. And the Babylonians come, wipe out the city, wipe out the beautiful temple, scatter the people. And you say, well, why? Why did God do this to, to them? Well, because they were stubborn. He had warned them what would happen. There's a song that Moses created at the end of Deuteronomy uh, that they were to teach the people to, to sing, to remind them of what would happen. There would be a blessing or a curse. The blessing if they obeyed, uh, the curse uh, if they were stubborn and disobedient. Unfortunately, uh, Israel uh, was scattered, and the Jewish people today have been restored. It's almost like God has given them a second chance. Uh, and the, the scripture does say that at the end time, uh, Israel will turn to the Lord. We don't see it yet. They're still stubborn. Uh, they are stubborn in their unbelief. And, uh, you know, I, I guess as Christians, we should learn. You remember <clears throat> twice that I can, uh, uh, there's a, there were people who wanted a proof of the Bible. Pascal was, was uh, asked that question. What's the, what's the proof of the Bible? And he said, the Jews. And uh, there was also, uh, I think it was Frederick the Great said to his minister, give me some proof of the Bible. And he said, well, the Jews. The Jews are an evidence, visually evidence for us. Here's a people that were scattered for, for 2,000 years because of their disobedience to the Romans. And God has regathered them and the first time I'm aware of this has ever happened, they restored a language that they had not spoken for 2,000 years. Jewish people now can read the Hebrew Bible and they still can understand it. You can't, yourself, read an 8th century English Bible because language changes. So it's almost like we're living in a, an interesting period in history, and Israel is maybe an object lesson for us. Absolutely, and I think it presents us with an opportunity, as this psalm did, to look back and to look forward simultaneously. And my hope and prayer for us, as we always talk about, is uh, we're here to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, in our relationships that we have and the, the places we go, the, the things that we do, there's this choice. And, and my, my hope and my prayer for us is that we do not become a what could have been people. We do not become an if only people, but we hear and listen. We hear and obey. We don't just hear and ignore or hear and choose a foreign God or our own voice or our own plans. And so my hope and my prayer for 2023 is that, that we do have a choice, that the almighty, perfectly loving and good God of the universe speaks and says, if only, and then you have a choice of what you listen to. May we be a people that embrace the voice 
he calls us into obedience with to, to embrace the best of the wheat that he offers. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you've given of yourself to us to unite yourself to us, to be with us, to walk with us, to teach us of your love and allow us to experience it. So we embark on this year. May you truly lead. May you just simply help us to follow you well. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you all thank Ed for, for joining me today? Thank you, Ed. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, and if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.